0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Jonah, chapter 3, on page 928. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be overturned. The Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, Put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion And did not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And the second reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 12, on page 978. Matthew chapter 12, starting at verse 38. Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now one greater than Jonah is here. The Queen of the South will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom, And now one greater than Solomon is here.
1: Well, good morning, Paul. Thanks for reading that passage for us. Do turn back to Jonah chapter three on page 928. We're carrying on our series, looking at this great Old Testament prophet together. Um, Jonah three, page 928. Um, If it helps, there's um, there's a bit of space on the back of the service sheet where you can scribble notes, if that's a help to you with some sermon headings to show you where we're going. And um, just while you find that, I'm going to pray for God's help as we come to look at this together. And so let's pray. Our Lord God, the Bible says that the one you esteem is the one who is humble and contrite and trembles at your word. And so we pray this morning, please help me to speak and help us all to listen with a right humility of heart before your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh man. Well, I wonder if you've ever received a message from someone really important. Uh, a friend of mine got an invitation to an event at Buckingham Palace. A few years ago, I'm still waiting for mine. Actually, I don't know about you, um, but uh, he showed it to me, and it really was exactly how you would imagine an invitation to Buckingham Palace to look. It was on sort of thick, creamy paper. It had come in a heavy envelope. I bet it made a right thud when it came through his um, his letterbox. Uh, it had uh, it had the royal sort of crest at the top of the letter. It, it wasn't actually signed by the Queen herself, but you know, you can't have everything. Uh, but here was a message from an important. Person. And um, I wonder if you've ever had a letter or an email, a text message from someone really important. And I wonder um, what you think that God would say if he sent you a letter or an email or a text message or something like that. If, if you had a message from the most important person, that is the Lord God, the Creator. Um, I mention it because in Jonah chapter 3, as we, um, as we carry on with our series looking at this book from the Old Testament, uh, we hear um, God's message to the ancient city of Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital of the empire of Assyria, uh, it roughly mapped onto modern day Iraq, if you can imagine that on your mental Google Maps. Um, And it um, it was a great city, the capital of a powerful empire. And here in Jonah 3, the heart of what we read about is God's message to the city of Nineveh. But the striking thing is, in the words we heard read from Matthew 12, the Lord Jesus said to his generation and to every generation that follows that God's message to Nineveh and Jesus's message to us are essentially the same. That as we hear the words of God to Nineveh and see the response of the people of Nineveh, that actually it points us to God's message to Sheffield in the 21st century and to you and to me sat here this morning. And so here is God's message. Our first heading, God's message. Have a look down at verse one with me. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And two things stand out as we get to verse three. First of all, verse three, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And if you've been with us so far, that's something of a surprise because in Jonah one, the Lord told Jonah to go and Jonah said no and ran in the opposite direction. But if you've been following, in Jonah 1 and 2, God has used two miracles to turn Jonah's life around and send him to Nineveh. And so at last, the word of God, the message, is going to get to Nineveh. And the second uh, striking thing is there in verse 3. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days And of course, we know that Nineveh was large and powerful. If we were reading this at the time, we would have known too that it was a city full of violence and aggression. The Assyrian Empire was was an expansionist and dangerous empire. It was a wicked place, really. Um, Not dissimilar to the Soviet Union in the 20th century or IS today. And yet the focus here isn't so much on how bad Nineveh is, but how significant it is, how great it is. That phrase, a very important city. Uh, Many Bibles have a footnote there because more literally, it's a city great to the Lord. It was a city of great significance to God. And this is one of the key themes of the book of Jonah, really. We learned back in Jonah chapter one that the Lord is the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. You see, God made the whole world and he cares about every person in it. To an ancient Israelite like Jonah, Nineveh would have felt very far away and very wicked. Surely God wouldn't be concerned with a big, bad, foreign city like Nineveh. But no, it was great to the Lord of great significance. He made us, he sustains us, he owns us, this creator God, and he loves us. I don't know if you've ever come across the idea of compassion fatigue before. You know, you open up the BBC News app or whatever it is, and you start by reading through the stories of terrible things that have happened locally to us in the UK. You know, maybe it's the tragedy this week of 39 people found dead in a lorry in the UK. And we feel that very deeply. But as you read on about the things that are going on all over the world, there is just so much that we just begin to feel weary, don't we? And less and less do we feel the weight of things as they get further and further away from us. So small am I and so finite that I just don't have the capacity to care for everything. But not so with God. The creator God who made the heaven and the earth cares about every person and every place in our world. Nineveh is significant to the Lord. The Lord God cares about the things that have been done to you and the things that you have done. He's the God of the world and he is too big not to care. Our God has no compassion fatigue. And here is God's message to Nineveh. Have a look at verse four. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's a sharply confronting message, isn't it? Jonah's message to Nineveh is that there is a judgment coming, that the God who made you will hold you to account for the life you have lived in the body, Ninevites. And I don't think we're to picture Jonah here in the town center with a sort of sandwich board or a placard that just says, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. He's there for three days. We can presume that he said more than just what's written here, but this is the headline that when Jonah came to write it down, he thought we needed to hear as readers. Here is the heart of his message that God had given him to preach to Nineveh. 40 more days... And Nineveh will be overturned, that there is a judgment coming. It's a confronting message, isn't it? You are not God's friend. God is not your friend. You are enemies. And in 40 days, he will hold you to account for the life you've lived. I know when was the last time you saw a cigarette packet? Uh, you don't see them that often, do you? Because they hide them in a sort of cupboard in newsagents now, away from kind of uh, innocent eyes. But um, the other day, I was out, uh, out just uh, walking in Sheffield, and I saw a cigarette packet someone had obviously just kind of thrown down on the street. And it had a kind of big picture of a kind of black lung on the front. Maybe you've seen one of them, or sort of horrible teeth or something like that. And I'll be honest, my first thought when I, uh, when I saw that was, that's a bit much, isn't it? It's a bit, it's a bit in your face, isn't it? And then I sort of thought about it, and I thought, yeah, but the thing is, that's true, isn't it? It's a warning. The government are saying, look, if you smoke, this is what will happen to you. A loving warning. They're saying, we don't want you to die. Don't do this. And so the big picture's plastered on the side. And do you see, the message of Jonah to Nineveh, it's a message of mercy, a loving warning to the people of Nineveh. After all, he gives them 40 days notice of the judgment that's coming, 40 days to respond. Jonah himself recognizes that it's a a message of mercy. And Part of the plot line of the whole book is that Jonah is furious with God for being merciful to the people of Nineveh. The people of Nineveh recognize that it's a message of mercy because they turn back to God and pray to him to have mercy. But it's a message of mercy that comes through judgment. Salvation from God's justice. A loving warning from God. And here's the thing. If you've read the the Gospels, you will know that the message of Jesus Christ is essentially this same message that was preached in Nineveh. A message that the creator God knows you and loves you but we'll hold you to account for the way that you've lived. Uh, I remember before I was a Christian, I basically thought, if I ever thought about God, that me and God were probably okay. You know, I tried to live a decent life, and and me and God, we're probably fine, until I read Mark's gospel with some friends. And um, I heard from the lips of Jesus the truth about myself, that God had made me, that he loves me and sustains my every breath, and yet I had had the audacity to ignore him and push him to one side in my life. That I deliberately disobeyed him. That I treated him in a way that if I had treated my own parents like that, it would be unquestionably shameful. And yet the God who made me, I treated like that. And Jesus warned of judgment more than anyone else in the Bible. Jesus, the most loving man who'd ever lived, spoke of hell more often than anyone else because he was the most loving man who'd ever lived. He gave loving warnings, a message of mercy. Jesus came promising forgiveness, but a message of mercy from judgment. And we need to see this clearly in Jonah 3, and in the gospel of Jesus. That the message of Jesus is not just smile, Jesus loves you. It's not just Jesus comes to meet your felt needs. Jesus comes to rescue us from a coming judgment. Sometimes as Christians, we can focus so much on the other needs that Jesus meets that we miss the heart of the issue. Yes, Jesus gives me a new identity and security. He gives me meaning and purpose in my life, a freedom from the self-destructive patterns of behavior that characterized me before. Yes and amen and those are good things and we need to talk about them. But if we miss speaking about the reality that God will hold us accountable and that Jesus comes to rescue us from that, well then we miss the heart of the gospel. If we don't speak about judgment... We rob people of God's mercy because we need a savior and not a therapist. And so here is God's message, a loving warning of a coming judgment. But then notice Nineveh's response. In Jonah chapter three, because if the the message is sharply confronting and surprising, the response is dramatic and remarkable and even more surprising. Verse five, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, just notice here that these unlikely people, the Ninevites, the people who seemed furthest from God, when they heard Jonah speaking this message, verse five, they believed God. See, actually, Jonah's almost gonna disappear from the story for the rest of the chapter because the significant thing here is that the message comes from God and they heard that it was from God. And if every Christian here will know that that sense of conviction that sometimes you hear the Bible taught and you know that it's not just the words of a man but God speaking to you. When the word of God is faithfully spoken, we hear God speak to us, whether it's in a church or in your local costa. We hear God speak to us. And here, they believed God. They believed his message, and they responded. It's remarkable. The last people you would expect to respond, and they declared a fast, and all of them put on sackcloth. And both of these things in the Old Testament, fasting and wearing sackcloth, they're both visual pictures of being sorry for the way that you've behaved, It's a sign of sorrow for sin to put on sackcloth and to fast in the Old Testament. And we see through this chapter that the way they responded was to to turn to God, what the Bible calls repentance. So they say sorry for their sin, and then they cry out to God for mercy. It's a change of attitude that bears fruit in a change of action. Just look at the king's decree to see that. Uh, in verse seven, the decree of the, king, uh, of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. And who knows, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we'll not perish. Do you see that? There's a change of attitude, sorrow for sin. Um, It is shown in fasting and sackcloth and calling urgently on God that leads to a change of action, giving up their evil ways and their violence. I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you realized that, um, that you were just not quite the shape that you used to be. I guess, um, I guess the under-30s in the room probably aren't going to get this at all, but just bear with me for a minute. okay? I, I, had, a, I had a very vivid moment a few years ago when um, I'd been asked to be a best man at a friend's wedding. And, um, and so I was there um, being measured for the suit. And should we just say that the score that I got was not the one that I was hoping for? And um, there are only so many times you can ask the guy to measure again before you just have to accept reality. But uh, it was one of those reality checks where I suddenly realized that I wasn't quite the shape that I used to be or that I wanted to be. And so my whole attitude to myself, uh, my diet, exercise, and so on changed in that moment. And the change of attitude, well, it um, it bore fruit in changed actions. I, I cut back the number of burgers that I was eating and started to do a bit more exercise. And you see, that's... Um, Uh, That's what the Bible means by repentance, really. A change of mind that leads to a change in your actions. And we see it in Nineveh. A change of mind about the way they had been living. They come to God and say that they are sorry for what they've done and urgently ask him to have mercy on them. And that change of mind leads to a change of action. They give up their evil ways And their violence. You see, it's not that they sort their lives out, become moral, and then come to God. It's that they change their whole mindset about God and cry out to Him for mercy, and that changes their lives. And the the dramatic thing in in Jonah 3 is that it's the whole of Nineveh, from the greatest to the least. Uh, They're even putting sackcloth on the animals to signify that this really is absolutely everyone, from the king and his nobles right down to the very poorest of them. Verse six, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes and covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. It's dramatic, isn't it? When was the last time we saw a powerful public figure declare to anyone who will listen, I was wrong and I need to change. But here it is, Nineveh transformed by hearing the message of coming judgment they turn to God they call out to God and of course the striking thing in Matthew 12 is that Jesus says the Ninevites are an example to us just as the people of Nineveh turned back Jesus says urgently we need to turn back to God to turn from the ways that we treat him and others and to ask him for mercy. And there's a powerful incentive to do that at the end of the chapter. Have a look at verse nine and 10 with me again. The king says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did, And how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction he'd threatened. See, we see at the end of Jonah chapter 3 that the Lord God, the creator God, is a God who has mercy on people who turn back to him a God who's gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, a God who turns from sending his judgment. See, we're not to read verse 10 and to think that God was somehow taken by surprise by what the Ninevites did here. You know, he had to kind of dream up a plan B very quickly or um, that God has somehow gone back on his word by not overthrowing Nineveh. Um, no, the... Um, Uh, The words of prophecy in the Old Testament are always conditional. The prophecies in the Old Testament are loving warnings. Now, if after the service I went out and stood in the middle of the road and you shouted, you're going to be run over, and as a result, I uh, I, I came back and stood on the pavement with you, Uh, I mean, it would be perverse if I came back there and was like, "Ha, ha, you were wrong, weren't you? I wasn't run over. Actually, who are you? Can't keep your word. I'm fine. That wasn't the nature of what you said to me, was it? It was a loving warning. You were crying out to me to get me out of the road. And that's how prophecy works in the Old Testament. The Lord cries out with a promise, with a, with a, with a, um, with a warning to get us to come back to him and receive his promise of mercy All through the Bible, we see that God goes to extraordinary lengths to call people back to him. And we see it most clearly in that one greater than Jonah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because in Christ, God became a man, came all the way down to earth in human history, and more than that, went to a cross to turn aside his fierce anger against us. On the cross, Jesus, who'd lived a perfect life, bore the penalty for the ways that we've treated God. On the cross, Jesus turned aside God's anger onto himself so that anyone who trusts in Jesus can know the compassion and mercy of this God. God came and did that himself. And so we can turn to God With a confidence greater than the king in verse 9. Because in verse 9, the king says, with no presumption, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn. But we can pray with confidence that in Jesus, God has promised that he will to every person who turns back to him and cries out for mercy. He's a merciful God. So let me ask you, are you here this morning and you're all too aware of the ways that you have gone away from God and rejected him? Maybe you're here this morning and you feel very far from God and you think, if, if people only knew the things I'd done, you can come back to him this morning. He's a God of mercy. It would be as simple as praying Lord God, I'm sorry for the ways that I've lived. Please forgive me and have mercy on me through Jesus. I want to live with you as my king, to turn to you. You could do that this morning because he's a merciful God, a God overflowing in grace and compassion and abounding in steadfast love. Would you come back to him this morning? But it might be that you're sat here this morning and and you say, actually... um, Andy, I'm a Christian believer. I know that Jesus offers mercy to anyone who comes back to him. But let me ask you this morning, is this the message that you still believe? Do we still believe that God is a God who is merciful to anyone, but only if they repent? When was the last time that you came to God and honestly in your heart asked him to forgive you for some sin that you had done, asked him to have mercy. Is that part of your daily prayers as a Christian, to, to repent and ask God to forgive you? Maybe there's some, some treasured sin, some basement in your heart. You know, God's got access to all of the rest of you, but not what you keep down there in the basement. Well, when Jesus said to us, repent, he meant for the whole of the Christian life to be one of repentance. God is very merciful, but only to those who come back to him for mercy. Christian, will you come back to him this morning and ask him to forgive you and repent and believe? But listen, just as I close, Let me ask you too, is this the message that we speak to other people? Do we remember that the only hope for every person that we know and every person that we don't is a God who has mercy on them? The only hope for your friends and neighbours and the only hope for people in faraway countries that we rarely think about is the mercy of God. Do we believe and do we speak about the need to come back to him? Because in Matthew 12, Jesus says very urgently to the most religious and moral insiders you can think of, you need to repent. We have a very merciful and very compassionate God, but only to those who turn back. I'm gonna pray, but then we'll have a moment of quiet just to pray by ourselves before we sing. Our Lord God, would you help us please to see the truth about ourselves and the truth about you. Help us to hear the warning and see the example of the Ninevites and to turn in Jesus' name, amen.